I am Ryan, and with my with whoa fuck, is it going to be one of those weeks? Welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 35. In this episode, we are talking about Douglas Adams, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I am Ryan, and with me is my good buddy and fellow host, Jacob. Yes, hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cult, bi-weekly, book yes. something or other. We're back in the studio. It hasn't been very long. I mean, I can still feel kind of the indention of my ass in this seat, <laughs> still sort of like pulling back up from the last time I was here. So it's good to see you, Ryan. Yeah. It's really good to see you. This is going to be, I would say, a wheels off episode, but maybe not entirely wheels off. I just think that the subject matter of this book is going to lead itself to a pretty interesting episode. Yeah, I feel like we can let our hair down a little bit and just be a bit of our goofier selves. Yeah, I, you know, in in... Getting into this, and obviously this is going to be a, a pretty traditional episode, we're going to tell you a little bit about Douglas Adams, give you a brief summary maybe, I don't know, I might make one up before then. Yeah. And then we're going to jump into some of the finer points of the book before kind of rounding you off at the end with uh, our patented three tier four for getting rid of it, five if uh, we're demolishing the earth and it happens to be on there, six if we're you know going to turn it into a whale and send it plumbing to a, a planet, <laughs> but I don't think it's going to come to that. And then, of course, we'll tell you about the episodes we have uh, following, but... But I will say, despite the fact that this is going to be a traditional episode one, we're back to two weeks now. Yes. So I kind of feel a little bit more, ooh, a little bit more mojo going. For sure. Um, and two, yeah, this book's just absurd. So yes. having that sort of juxtaposition of, of last time we were in here and kind of our, <laughs> Jesus Christ, our little like tangent into economics and what have you, it's, yeah. it, it'll be an interesting little change. So For sure. I'm excited. It'll be fun. Yeah, so if you haven't read this book, keep in mind we are only talking about the first book in the five-part trilogy, um, so the proper Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book. Uh, but if you haven't read it, go read it. It's like 150 pages or some odd. That's like uh, 212. Well, it's 150 in mine. Uh, and uh, yeah, just go read it, then listen to the podcast, because it's weird that you would listen to a podcast about a book you haven't read. Uh, I don't know if it follows the movie, so I, if you've seen the movie, maybe you can listen to the podcast, but... I think it's pretty close. Okay. Uh, it's It seems like something that would translate well between book and movie, like, verbatim, so I, I assume they're pretty close. Um, should we talk about Douglas Adams? Well, let's get into Douglas Adams real quick. I mean, what's unique about this book, too, is... It's been sort of taken their BBC series, their television series, you know, there's a movie and um, having I remember bits and pieces because I saw the movie and, you know, now having read the book. Yeah, there are differences, albeit kind of slight. But from what I've gathered in kind of all the different mediums that this book has sort of been taken into there are changes that are made and there are kind of like weird little nuances about each mm -hmm. that Adams actually was like kind of a voice behind and like sort of the weird re sort of structure of these things. And yeah, I don't know. I think that's kind of interesting. You get a little bit of something different from any medium that you sort of take the story in, but we're focusing on the book because we're a it. book podcast. Yes, we are for now. And books have authors. It's when I plant the seed of us becoming a BBC radio serial podcast that would be terrifying i can't even do a british accent and 
No, where we just discuss old BBC radio serials. Oh, yeah. But then I still feel like I need a British accent, and I can't fake one. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah, I did go to a bar once uh, in Austin and uh, showed up having already had too much to drink and thought it would be funny to pretend that I was Australian. Apparently, I'm bad at Australian accents as well. Yeah. So Yeah, you're not fooling anybody on that. Since we're we're sharing... accents or actually just me all right douglas adams uh he was born in 1952 uh and died in 2001 um he's from uh the uk uh specifically he was born in cambridge uh died in uh in california uh but kind of kind of an interesting kind of an interesting guy uh so um he his writing career was kind of all over the place. You you wouldn't be surprised probably to hear that uh, he was involved with uh, the Monty Python uh, kind of group. Uh, he worked on the uh, Monty Python and Holy Grail um, album, um, and he was part of uh, I think the Flying Circus. There was a there was a sketch in there that uh, that he was uh, actually acted in. Uh, and as I was reading, it sounded like the, the gimmick was they kept introducing characters and then nothing happened. <laughs> they just kept introducing characters, <laughs> which I haven't even seen it. And I'm fucking laughing about yeah. it because it just sounds like completely understandably absurd after reading this book and having seen tons of Monty Python stuff over the year, over the years. You just get a picture in your mind's eye of this skit. Just yeah, going just, on. yeah, just yeah, <laughs> just. Uh, anyway, it's like that too many cooks video. Do you ever yeah. see that a few years ago? It's essentially <laughs> it's the same like, thing. Yeah, they yeah. just have too many people. Yeah. Um, so a- after he did the, uh, the Monty Python stuff in, uh, in the early seventies, uh, or early to mid seventies, he kind of had hit this like rut, uh, where his like comedy style went, went, uh, sort of out of style. And so he, he was doing some, uh, some odd jobs. He was a hospital porter. Uh, he was a barn builder. He cleaned chicken sheds, which having gone to school in East Texas and driving past those Tyson you know, farms where they have chickens, I can tell you chickens don't smell good. And I can't imagine that a shed smells very good either. Uh, I imagine any number of anything confined to such a small space will not smell good over time. Uh, true, except for flowers. No. No, because there'd be too much. Maybe, maybe. Uh, anyway, I, I also read that he was uh, he was really tall. He was uh, he was six foot by the time he was twelve years old, uh, and uh, then he I think he ended up being like six five. Yeah. And so one of his odd jobs was that he was employed as a uh, bodyguard for a Qatari family. Um, <laughs> okay. At, at one point. Uh, so then all while he's, he's doing these, uh, he's doing these odd jobs. He's, you know, sending sketches out and, uh, and all that trying to continue his, his career. Um, and, uh, eventually ends up, um, getting involved with the BBC and doing the hitchhiker's guide, um, on radio first. That's, that's how it first manifested. And I think it was 1977. Uh, and then eventually was the written into a novel in 1978. Um, and, you know, so he actually collaborated, I think, uh, with John Lloyd um, with some of the, the radio stuff, um, who, was, who was another another writer and obviously a big influence on the, the Hitchhiker's Guide stuff. Um, 
and then you know he's he he did all sorts of things. Obviously, there's he, he wrote mul- writ. What is what is up with me today? He, he wrote he wrote multiple books in uh, in this series. Uh, obviously, he uh, also got involved with Doctor Who. Um, did some writing for for that show in the in the 70s as well. Um, he was a uh, he was a big fan of uh, of Pink Floyd. Um, and uh, interestingly enough. And I, I, this this can't have been coincidence. On his forty second birthday, uh, he was invited to make a guest appearance at Pink Floyd's concert uh, and played uh, guitar for them for a couple songs during during that concert. He was also a prolific guitar. Well, I don't know if he's prolific, but he owned prolific a lot enough. Of, he owned a, he owned a lot of guitars. And he was good enough to play with Pink, Pink Floyd concert. Floyd. Sure. Yeah, but forty two. What a number! Yeah. Uh. So yeah. Uh. So yeah. Super interesting guy. Like he was. He was an atheist. He was. Uh. Uh. Just very like humor centric, sarcastic. Uh. Kind of guy. I. I. I'm always sad when people like this are dead because then you know you're you're obviously not getting new content or anything. But sure. Also, like 2001 is kind of the probably the front end of when you'd start to get like YouTube videos of interviews and, and that sort of thing. Um, so it's hard to like find, uh, you know, sit down interviews as readily as somebody who's still working, but he just seems like a guy I would fucking love to hang out with. He's probably such yeah. a, such an interesting guy. Um, all right. So in my incoherent rambling about his, uh, about his life and work, did you come up with a summary? <laughs> I got something. All right. What do you got? <clears throat> so the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is the tragic tale of the massacre of billions of people on the planet Earth as it is destroyed and uh, sort of the shenanigans of the last remaining human being plucked away from his from his home and scattered about the, the, the cosmos to find his own way. Yeah. Makes it sound kind of sad or tragic. Yeah, I, th- I mean it's that's also more concise than even the book. Sure, yeah. I mean, there you go. Out. There's the book. Um, two things yes. that I want to hop into before we actually talk about stuff with this book. That was a terrible summary, by the way, but whatever. Uh, no, it worked. It was in my infinite improbability drive, sort of pulling a summary out of my ass, and it was the most. <laughs> it was the that was the one it chose. Sorry. Um, one. Yes. As a fan of absurdist british humor yes did this book i i guess speaking as someone who's a fan of that and i'm assuming you're kind of in that same vein a big fan of that oh yeah how can you compare this to any book that you've ever read before that genuinely made you no have such a external like funny reaction to what is going on in this book because i genuinely as a lover of like british sort of uh dry absurdist humor this is like Everything that I love about that just condensed into one book yeah. and just sort of put on display. And I found it incredibly amusing and yes. just overall just a fucking treat. Yeah. I, matter of fact, a few times uh, in the last week, I was trying to read in bed. Uh, and like, you know, so I, I go to bed early. My wife goes to bed earlier. She's reading and she's done reading. She tries to go to sleep. I'm still up and I'm sitting there like laughing at stuff. And one time I was laughing at, at uh, I think it was, uh, I think it was one of the names. And uh, all of a sudden I just like look over after I realized that I was doing it out loud and she's just staring at me like, will you please stop? Yeah. It is absurd to me that, that like 
you could capture that type of comedy in a book. I I never would have thought that it was that it was possible in this in a different forum than like you know television Monty Python movie. Yeah, yeah, I mean I get what you're saying because so much of so much of that humor is like physical humor, mm-hmm. like seeing reactions, seeing right. kind of the the absurdist like picture that's being that's kind of being placed there. Yeah, and to be able to sort of distill that kind of humor into just like a written passage descriptions of things or just sort of turns of phrase or just how the characters sort of act with the weird crap that's going on in front of them. I thought it was incredibly surprising. I, I think we both said that previously we had picked up this book and kind of read a little bit into it, but never really got like hooked into it and gone all the way through it. And looking back, it's like, I don't understand that. Because even like so early on when it's just like, yeah, you know, the first thing you presented with is, okay, well, your house is going to be demolished. He's like, I just learned about this yesterday. Well, it's been on display <laughs> down at the down at the office for months now. And he's like, yes, but it's in a cellar. I, this is, again, yeah. I'm just thinking this is a Monty Python skit or this is some other weird British comedy skit. Right. It's just it's in a cellar and there's no stairs and it's in a locked cabinet with a sign on the door that says beware the leopard. Or it's yeah. just I mean But 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 also like I think the, the genius in some of that comedy is that like it's absurd, but it's also how the fucking world works. Like yeah. you know, that it the, just that like, like the bureaucracy yeah. of, of things like just that. Just poking fun at that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's that that sort of truth that's in there and just kind of the uh the sort of how things the levels of like how inconsequential things are yeah where it's you start with it's like my house is going to be destroyed and it's like yeah well that doesn't matter well the planet's going to be destroyed it's like well yeah that doesn't matter because now we have the answer to like life uh, or we have you know the answer to this this question and we need to find the question and we got it's just how inconsequential everything is and you know you said kind of in the in the lead off that um, you know, Adams was, he was an atheist and I think I'd read somewhere that he was actually like pretty good friends with Dawkins too. Yeah, he was. Um, and so he kind of, you can see that sort of like sharp wit at kind mm-hmm. of like poking fun at, at not necessarily like the idea of, of not like far and away, like religion or anything like that. Like not, not combative in that way, but just kind of poking fun at the idea at like, yeah, the things that we hold in such importance at times is just so utterly insignificant compared to like some of these other things. And I'm going to show you with just these weird, stupid, absurdist things that, that make no sense other than to kind of just place you in that sort of situation of man, does anything really even like ultimately matter? I mean, the answer to, you know, the, the, the life universe, everything is 42. So I mean, like, does anything ever really actually matter? Oh, that's a deep. That's a deep. Uh, that is a deep one. Deep question. All right, a little spin off of that question. Yes, because you know a big a big plot point in the book is you know the mice is the they had to blow up Earth five yeah, minutes yeah. before we got the actual question to that. So all right, the mice are going to build another Earth, and uh, uh, you know they go with how many roads must a man walk down? What do you think if you had to guess? Just w- pure cojones, pure guts, pure nothing else. What is the question to the answer 42? Uh, I don't even know. I mean, I I don't know. You I don't, don't know where to begin? No, I, I like literally have given it no thought. And I, I mean, the mice come up with a 
respectable idea of an answer. Yeah, it's clever. Uh, yeah, at least something that will keep people potentially like mulling it over for for a while. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I how can a number be of consequence? You know, when it comes to like the most important question. Like, I don't know. I don't know. What do you, like, do you have an idea? Well, I, like, I can't even. Part like, of me, because I was, because you know, I was thinking of this to be a question for the show, and so part of me was like, all right, I'm going to think seriously as to what could possibly be, you know, where could you derive 42 as an answer from, and and maybe it was like the age at which you reach like the most heightened level of maturity or, or, yeah. or introspectiveness or something like that. And I was like, nah, that's too serious. So I think that the answer, or I think that the question, mind you, that the answer to 42 is, what is six times seven? Because it doesn't matter. Because it doesn't mean anything. And if it's anything very else... very nihilistic if of anything, you. <laughs> I mean, if anything else in this book teaches me anything about this universe that we have in the yeah. book... It's that nothing ever means anything. So the answer ultimately, and whether or not you know we get paid off in future yeah. books for that, I have no idea. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was an ultimately meaningless question uh, for an ultimately meaningless answer. Yeah, I mean, I think that something in that vein is is very clearly the the resolution of of that, um, or even even more so, maybe it's never even addressed, like ever again like in 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 its totality which in and of itself would be the most excellent question for that answer yeah. is that it just doesn't it, i mean there's nothing it, do, it doesn't matter and like the improbability stuff the uh just absurdity of of situations and emotions and all that kind of stuff in this book i mean that would be be about on par yeah would you feel satisfied if we ended up stretching out to five books of this at the end for it ultimately nothing to have meant anything. Yeah, I think so because not to, not to get too like philosophical, but I think for, for the most part, our lives are meaningless in the, in the grand scheme of things, especially on the cosmic scale. So yeah, I would be, I would be fine with that as long as it's treated with some amount of humor and like sort of, uh, tongue-in-cheek like you know acceptance of of that fair enough um let's talk a little bit about structure in a way because the first thing that you kind of or at least the first thing that kind of enters my mind once you get past all the humor when you end this book yeah you go back and you go wow there was really like what um you, <laughs> what uh i just kind of read a book with very meandering if almost i mean it's very it's there's a paper thin plot right there yeah. is a plot there there is something that's driving movement forward but man it's it has a very tenuous grasp on this on, sure, on sort of yeah. like keeping you in for the plot and not that that's exactly what the book is sort of constructed to do um i i guess after i finished it my thought was that okay it's the plot or, or kind of a structure for a novel here is just kind of a vehicle for what I could imagine Douglas Adams just going, huh, this would be a stupid idea. What if we, there was just like a guidebook for the galaxy and it just had yeah, all this yeah. stupid stuff and how could I fit that in sort of a, a, a more of like a skit? Like how could I kind of fit this into 
a story and, and yep. kind of build up from that. Cause that's kind of how it felt. It was like, as it was the idea. And then you kind of just like, all right, we're just going to kind of build a plot around it to kind of fill in the gaps here. Right. Um, which normally when I, when I think back and I, I always glance over at your shelf that you have here. Yeah. So you can see all eyeing, our books. eyeing books that we've read. Normally we're pretty hard on, on books that kind of lack that sort of substantive yeah. plot that yeah. have kind yep. of that, normal churn but i know personally and maybe this is just a fault of my of my own sense of humor or personality i give this one a pass because it made me laugh and honestly it kept me reading regardless of the fact that there's not a really strong plot you know our characters are kind of more just caricatures really than anything else you know um with my favorite obviously being Marvin um <laughs> just depressed and sad he robot yeah. uh, which is uh, hilarious but yeah i mean you know you don't really get this like intense character development you don't really get this like lively interesting thought provoking plot you really when you look at this it's it's not a very substantive book but it but it is because i think um so much of it is just kind of like anchored to the idea of absurdity, kind of pulling the the sheet off and saying like, take a look at all of this and how absurd everything is. And so kind of give you perspective on the things that maybe you take a little too seriously or the things that you kind of fret about. And for yeah. that, you know, that was something that I could pull out. But I don't know, what was your thoughts with this essentially not really having a standard plot or really intense character development? You know, I think that I think that the the humor in this book is propped up by sort of the episodic nature in which we we sort of encounter things, right? Yeah. And I think that the the absurdity of, you know, of character situations and things, you know, waking up 5 million years, you know, after a recession, uh, you know, just some of those things um, I think are okay just given the fact that you have, you know, these very highly coincidental, you know, situations, theoretically. Some would say improbable. Yeah, because of, I mean, it seems like because of this improbability it's drive. It's a plot device. Yeah. And so you sort of have, you know, sort some explanation of of this, but... I think what you see in these in these smaller scenes are like bits and pieces of, you know, sort of like philosophy or humor or some combination of the two. And sure. that that to me is sort of the point of it, right? In the same same way that you would, you know, sit down and watch like, you know, Saturday Night Live or, you know, something like that where, you know, you don't necessarily have like a combined like structure, but like there are always things that are going on like in the larger world that they're making fun of, right? Whether that's politics or uh, celebrities or what have you. And, you know, you try to make these, these statements and make it humorous and, you know, kind of weave these things all throughout. And it seems like Douglas Adams is trying to do the same thing, you know, with, with a lot of these things, interject little pieces about atheism and bureaucracy and, you know, uh, just like British uh, lifestyle and, you know, reservation and uh, just all these, all these different things. But I really enjoyed like the fact that it was incoherent because it, 
kept me on my toes as I was reading. Sure. And I do like the the plot devices where you where you do have the hang the, the like the hanging sentence at the end of like almost every chapter. Uh especially the That one, was short, which was yeah, at least nice. Especially the one where uh like the uh it was right before they were about to get shot with the missiles. Um they said, uh, you know, or he said something like to the effect of whatever happens next, you know, nobody dies, but uh, somebody is going to have a bruise on their arm or whatever. And, yeah. you know, that's as far as it's going to go. And then the next chapter starts and the missile defense system kicks up and, you know, you're, you're just like still, even though you just read that, you know, nothing bad's going to happen. You're like, oh, shit, this is this is serious. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I I loved the the structure of all okay. of this. Yeah. I mean, typically things that you would, uh, I don't know so much in this book is kind of like tongue in cheek or mocking just with, with stylistic choices like, Oh, Hey, we're not really going to have like this narrator explicitly reading to you. Well, well then we'll jump into this section kind of, you know, uh, in the middle or later part of the book to sort of explain these, these other details or, you know, we're just going to embrace the idea of a plot device and just center our entire story around having something uh, so improbable that you can essentially just do whatever you want with your story, which yeah. is is a little bit nice as a reader when when you just put it on the table and you go, okay, here's a device that's called the impossible the Im- the impossible improbability drive. Yeah, this is our this is our plot device. Everything that could possibly ever happen plot holes whatever included it's all okay because i'm saying that this exists in this universe and it's done right. and we all we all wink and nod and go okay yeah this is a little bit tongue in cheek yeah. towards like other plot devices that exist in books and so yeah i think that had this book not been as sort of just ridiculous and and upfront and just honest about how weird it was going to be then it it would it would have been interesting but I also like the I like the sort of breaks where you get excerpts explaining like what's from the guide, what's in the guide, yeah. and then uh, there, there's even like the fourth wall breaking. So like that that part that I was just talking about, like right before the the missiles. So this is uh, this is chapter end of chapter sixteen uh, starts says. Uh, Stress and nervous tension are now serious social problems in all parts of the galaxy. And is uh, and it is in order that this situation should not be in any way exacerbated that the following facts will now be revealed in advance. The planet in question is, in fact, the legendary Magarathia. Uh, the deadly missile attack shortly to be launched uh, by an ancient uh, automatic defense system will result merely in the breakage of three coffee cups and a mouse cage and the bruising of somebody's upper arm and the untimely creation and sudden demise of a bowl of petunias and an innocent sperm whale. So like, uh, I can't I can't even say that with a straight face just because of what happens after. But yeah, uh, and so like I I appreciate all of the 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 little things that this book does to just like shit on like every like literary convention uh, for the sake of of humor. Really, when you when you get down to it, yeah, and I mean just the what amounts to being pretty much a page of just sort of inner monologue of a missile that got turned into a whale as it slowly starts to the best as it recognizes that it exists and what it's being is, is it slowly falling to, uh, this planet. It's, it's, it's a very unique, uh, reading experience and it's, it's really difficult for me to at least to kind of relate to anything that I've read that, um, 
because I don't really, I don't know, I don't really seek out uh, fiction specifically, like in a humorous genre or something sure. that I was like, yeah. oh, I know this is going to be funny, so I'm going to read it because most of the time I it's it's not or it's it doesn't have as intended of an effect on me. But like I said, maybe it's maybe it's just a weakness of mine, but absurdist sort of dry British humor, man, it gets me every time. It gets me every time. It it is it is funny. And the the other thing that made me laugh about the the whale chapter more than anything was actually the the last paragraph about the petunias. It goes, curiously enough, the only thing that went through the mind of the bowl of petunias as it fell was, oh, no, not again. Many people have speculated that if we knew exactly why the bowl of petunias, they thought that we would know a lot more about the nature of the universe than we do now. I just (laughs) the the sort of like twisting of uh, like intelligence and experience. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's the like whales the petunias the mice like you know being these like secret overlords uh earth being an number organic one. supercomputer yeah number two being dolphins yeah i loved the dolphin bit uh the whole chapter dedicated to them trying to warn us yeah uh before exiting uh knowing the impending doom of the earth only to leave us with the message thanks for all the fish yeah yeah so I don't even know where we go from here, man. Um, you know, we the the like highlights of this book. There's no there's no specific plot. It's 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 highlights are kind of the the way that the caricatures of the characters sort of play out and, yeah. in kind of the the absurdist nature. And I don't know. I think there was one character that stood out more than others to me as far as kind of like fitting in that just absolute sort of absurdist yeah. role. And it's it's got to be Zaffod, right? Sure, like, sure. What, what kind of what kind of weekend would you would you have with that guy? You imagine he is he is a freaking wild card. And yeah, I uh, he's he's second only to Marvin for me, just because I love the the stupidness of having like a depressed robot that you know ends up foiling the police in the end because his drab nature. Yeah, got another computer to kill itself yeah you talked you talked another being into suicide well you talked another uh another robot in some sort of uh of way to to suicide yeah that that guy's absurd It, it made me kind of think of like idiocracy in a way okay um although some president camacho vibes yeah yeah but but he doesn't have two heads and three arms though true he doesn't uh but there is something a bit more like still intentional about his character which is kind of funny to me it's like like i know what i'm i know that i'm supposed to be this giant fuck up and like i'm just living my life and like you know it's there's like a sort of unsure cockiness to him (laughs) i guess in in a way uh that i i just find really humorous but yeah i think i would i would absolutely love to go have beers with him and you know, obviously, God knows. You know what what could happen. Do you think that it would be possible to get him to sit through an entire like movie or like uh, a symphony or even a class in school? Like, can you imagine that dude in high school? Like, just get him through like one class of high school trig. No, no. I mean, he is he's another sort of like manifest, or he is the. 
you know, we have we we kind of have our caricatures like like, you know, Arthur's kind of just the like every man, like not really in control of his life, just kind of getting pulled along. And then on the like external end of that, we see Zaphod, who's just kind of this like wild card, just impulsive, doing whatever I want to kind of like meet whatever means that's driving me that I'm not even quite sure of. I'm just so impulsive that things are kind of like going along. And it is it is kind of in the lens of this book when you're sort of looking at the the little philosophical moments that you yeah. do kind of go like, okay, the caricatures, I guess, kind of are like there for you to identify with, even even if only slightly. Sure. And uh or or at least identify with the more sort of extreme elements of your own nature mm-hmm. and kind of like relating to them. Um so yeah, I mean like Zaphod is obviously that just spastic kind of voice in your head that's just go 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 you don't know exactly where you're going but you're you're going um which which of our of our little like weird casting crew did you i guess feel most like in in a way because i you know i kind of like i got the idea that uh aside from the the sort of like arthur and trillian bit like that our characters were kind of there both as comedic relief right and just as kind of like caricatures of these sort of like aspects of people's personalities. And you kind of have this like mismatch hodgepodge. You have Marvin who's like depression and you have uh, Arthur who's kind of just like indifference or just not, not necessarily indifference, but just kind of like worry or unease. You have Zaphod who's just kind of just impulsiveness. I don't know if that's trying to assign a little bit too much uh, meaning to the absurdity of this book, because at the end of the day, you know, things yeah. are in there just kind of to be absurd. But that is the one little like uh, interesting nugget that like popped into my head here. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I can I can answer that. I, I'll tell you one character that I wish that I understood more was Ford. Yeah. Um, just because like we obviously we get a lot of him in in the early parts of of the book but then like as soon as they sort of get on the ship his yeah, character just sort of like dissipates he just falls in the background yeah so i i don't know like i was really intrigued by his character at first and i appreciated sort of his like uh confidence and like you know just his his like ability to be chipper i think like that is mostly the way that i try to carry myself is sure. just you know, to even if I don't know what the hell is going on, like at least approach it with like my my best foot forward, and uh, so I, I really liked that about him, especially when he was negotiating with uh, uh, the guy that was trying to bulldoze Arthur's house, and he was like, "Well, if you just lay here, we can go do this," and the guy's kind of like, "Okay, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess I can do that." Yeah, uh, and yeah, so I, I I don't know, I think I think I like. I need if there's more of this reading to be done on this podcast. I, I really earnestly hope there's more Ford in it, uh, and also the mis misspelling. Although prefect is a word, right? Yeah. So I mean, it's, but I keep wanting to read Ford, Ford perfect, perfect, and yeah. uh, it's that not. is a little bit of a mind game, right? Which I am sure was intentional. In- well. I read somewhere too that yeah his uh, the Douglas Adams got a kick you know when you look in this this book and some of the names are just absurd you know you have Zaphod and then you have Slarty what was it Slarty <laughs> Blartfast that 
I think I'd read somewhere that he was just like, yeah, he thought it was funny because he knew somewhere someone would have to like type all these up. And yeah, so he's just yeah. like, it's just like cruel to just have all these weird random names. And so something like Ford Prefect, albeit much more subtle, is still just be like, wait, I misspelled that. Yeah. Uh, also a bit like Asimovian in uh, in the naming conventions. Yeah, kind of just strange. Yeah, I don't know if, if it was intentional like to sort of, take a like a swipe at uh science fiction naming conventions but eh, maybe i don't know maybe well my thing for this book is you know you read it and you kind of get the the resolution not resolution you know the big yeah. resolution at the end is hey yeah the earth was the actual computer that that was uh figuring out the question it got blown up and so we were going to create another one but instead you know we're going to take it from you and they get away and I just, I, you know, spoiler, I guess, before we get to, to ratings, like, I like this book. I'm keeping it. Yeah. And, and I would definitely be interested in reading more. Um, but you're kind of left at a point at the end of this book where you're almost, everything that happened in this book is almost inconsequential when you think about what could potentially be happening sure. next. Yeah. And so to have read something like that and then kind of just look forward to what you're going to be reading next on the one hand, it's like, well, I thoroughly enjoyed the comedy, and so I'm kind of like in line for that. Yeah. Um, but knowing that that's in store and kind of getting getting all of this out that we've gotten in this book and and knowing that, okay, I'm, I'm going to get something similar to that, my worry is that we kind of get in the same rhythm of, well, all this sort of weird stuff happens and it's sort of saved by the absurd humor nature then ultimately nothing happens at the end which yeah i could imagine would probably wear thin eventually eventually if it was kind of the same note yeah and and i think that's my my biggest worry about the entire thing is that like so i've got the the whole like collection of all all five of the novels the five part trilogy yeah and which again is just fucking funny well it's a trilogy and then he's like well no we'll add this other book yeah and so now it's a four part tri- oh it's the five part which is not surprising so mine is 840 pages uh in total uh in my version we've read like 153 pages okay so as much as I enjoyed the 153 pages, I, I worry about the same thing. Are, can you carry that on for another 700 pages with, you know, this, the same style and still have the, the same amount of, like, enjoyability? And I think it'd be a hard thing. I think if I sat down and watched Monty Python all day, uh, as much as I love them... It would wear it, on you. It, yeah, I, I don't think I could do it best done in like little doses right i think i think that's the that's the key with like well comedy in general i sure. mean well pretty much anything in general uh if you sit down except drugs try, those, yeah. those you can have in unlimited portions almost all the time i'm pretty sure that that's how it works yeah uh the better the bookshelf podcast does not endorse taking illegal drugs oh, i didn't say illegal drugs I <laughs> or said legal drugs prescribed uh <laughs> opioids you could just, you and, just uh, pop them like tic tacs right uh yeah yeah pretty sure that's not not trying looks. to make no but, but or anything. <laughs> i did feel like i had to have a public disclaimer there it's because fine. you would no, because you never know people this day and age like, like i heard these two guys he on a podcast he said, he said i could have unlimited meth i had it <laughs> Well, I guess 
If you had unlimited meth, you probably wouldn't be talking about it. But. If you had unlimited meth, I feel like the responsible thing to do would be to sell it and make money and then use that money to better your community. <laughs> probably. Pro- pro- probably. That's now ravaged by the effects yeah, so like of the meth poli- use. You're like <laughs> the politically conscious Walter White. Yeah. It's like, listen, guys, I have to make all this money selling the meth to fix all the problems that meth has caused on our streets. Uh, it's, that's basically like pharmaceutical companies in the U.S., though. Uh, I don't know about all that. Uh, anyway, um, so let's let's actually get into into our ratings. You got nothing else? I mean, I we, I could just like quip and banter about this book all day, but I think when we get into our ratings, we can maybe talk a little bit more about the future of reading this. Sure, more. sure. Okay, well, go you go first then. Okay. Uh, so I'm gonna keep this. I'm gonna stick it on my top shelf because you know, like like we've said. Uh, I think the the sort of dry British humor throughout um, is something that I've just since I was a kid uh, have just latched onto, and I've, I find endlessly funny. And I never never would have thought that I would have found that in a book. I cannot think of a single book that I've ever read that I have laughed out loud even once before I've read this one. And I've I mean I've picked up like just weird comedy books, you know, that I thought would be funny or books by funny people that turned out not to be funny. Uh, I was just totally, totally caught off guard. So from like a stylistic standpoint, you know, and, and his ability to execute that, uh, you know, I think, I think it was fantastic. The other thing that I really admired about this, this book that makes me want to put it on the top shelf is that he twists perspective, um, you know, about like, you know, uh, animal relationships, like you know, in Earth, obviously our our understanding of time and and distance and possibility and all of that stuff, but uh, does it in a way that uh, you know he approaches it with comedy, um, but it's still there were a few points I stepped back and I thought, well, shit, like you know, what if mice are smarter than you know we think about, or like you know, not not that these are you know probably real possibilities, but. Um, you know, there are, there are a few things that make you step back and think, okay, well, what if what if I need to be a bit more uh, introspective about my perception of the universe? Like Arthur sure. Dent had his whole, you know, sort of situation, his understanding of life kind of blown wide open. Uh, where can I maybe as a person be a little bit more open to those concepts? So as absurd and hilarious as this, as this book was, I did stop down at a couple points and just sort of like thought, hmm. Maybe I need to be a bit more open. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I dig it. So, um, yeah, I'm going to put it on the top shelf as well. Okay. Uh, which is kind of counterintuitive to a lot of the things that I've stressed in books that I put on the top shelf because I don't think it has terribly strong characters. Like I said, I think it, it gears more towards caricatures and, and the sort of like intense character features and just sort of throwing itself into that and that becoming kind of their defining features and, you know, kind of a meandering, not really go anywhere plot, but man, it all comes down to how enjoyable the book was to read. And it was, it was a pleasure to read and I would reread it and I would recommend it to those that would be on the market for some, not even just some absurdist humor, but just something fun, uh, to read to take away the time. 
Uh, it's piqued my interest, obviously, definitely in in continuing it on and, and reading some more in the series. And I don't think that we're going to dedicate the next four episodes to trying to, to plow through this. But yeah. it's certainly something that I am eager to get back to in the future. Yeah. And yeah, so it'll be a top shelf for me. Probably more towards the bottom of the top shelf than the top. Okay. But still absolutely worthy um, for a lot of the reasons you covered, the ones that I covered as well. But yeah, I mean, it's at the end of the day, you know, it's you kind of it's it's your gut, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. How much did I like this book? And the answer is a lot, a, a whole lot. I really, really, really liked it. And uh, to your point too, it it does have those little philosophical moments kind of baked in there that is unexpected in the package and kind of yeah. Uh, you know, you forget sometimes when you're reading it, and you go through and you go, oh yeah, that's interesting. Okay, because perspective is so much of a so much of a theme or, or sort of a cog in this story that right. you don't really you don't really get an opportunity elsewhere to kind of have that same shift of perspective and variety of ways constantly churning throughout the book that makes you kind of take a step back and go, huh, okay. All right. That it's an interesting thought. Yeah. Uh, there's so many moments in this book that you get those sort of like you close off a chapter, you go, okay, <laughs> all right, that's <laughs> that was that was odd, that was weird, but a funny little interesting thought. And the value of that, I think, in reading, at least on my standards, because again, I I value sort of the like absurdist sort of comedic, but at yeah. the same time, a little bit observational and philosophical nuggets that it 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 propels it a lot higher than I would have initially thought. Yeah, same. I didn't I didn't expect to like this as much as I did. And to your point much earlier, I don't understand why past me did not just bite on this immediately and just keep going. Like, I, 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 I don't even remember, like, the first probably 10 pages. So I must not have even gotten that far previously. And I can't figure out why the fuck I didn't. Yeah, this feels like a poop book. Like a book that I just picked up one time when I was yeah. going to poop and maybe read, like, six or seven pages in and went, oh, that's interesting. I'll get back to it. And then never did because <laughs> I never had a podcast sort of forcing me to yeah. keep reading. All right. Speaking of keep reading, we're going to, we're going to do some things. So, uh, first of all, I want to make a proposal about hitchhikers before I announce the next book. Okay. What do you think about the first episode of every month? We flip a coin to see if one of our episodes is reading one of the books in this. We can call it our own little probability Improbability drive. drive. Yeah. So next episode, I'll have a suggested book and then restaurant at the end of the universe and we'll flip a coin to see which one comes up. Yes. I'm down. All right. Do we want to do that for every episode going no, forward? No, just, just the first one of every month. Okay, so well, the, but it, this is... No. So, so no, no, no. So let, let, we'll... We'll plan it the out. The first episode that releases. Every right. Month. Oh, so, okay, gotcha. so then then within that month, we'll have to pick one of those episodes to read one of the books in okay. here. Uh, Our own little improbability drive. Uh, that's That'd be an interesting little into summer, into fall kind of yeah. shenanigan. And and they're short enough, at, you know, a few hundred pages that we can, we can pound them out in an episode, but they're too big to consume all at once. Yeah, and that's the thing too. Like, if if somebody didn't really connect with this book, I don't want them to be put off for two and a half months. Well, yeah, while well, we podcast, go so. through the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, so the next book we're gonna read. I've had this on my shelf for a while uh, because it's been kind of a 
it's been kind of a thing um, in the literary world. Uh, it's a book called Asymmetry by Lisa Halliday. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to read the blurb because I think I went on a tirade about this a few months ago about how books don't have any good book blurbs anymore. Uh, but this one had a blurb, so I'm going to freaking read it. I like blurbs. Uh, told in three distinct and uniquely compelling sections, Asymmetry explores the imbalances that spark and sustain many of our most dramatic human relations, inequities in age, power, talent, wealth, fame, geography, and justice. The first section, Folly, tells the story of Alice, a young American editor, and her relationship with the famous and much older writer, Ezra Blazer. A tender and exquisite account of an unexpected romance that takes place in New York during uh, the early years of the Iraq War, Folly also suggests an aspiring novelist coming of age. By contrast, Madness is narrated by Amar, an Iraqi-American man who on his way to visit his brother in Kurdistan is detained by immigration officers and spends the last weekend of 2008 in a holding room in Heathrow. These two seemingly disparate stories gain resonance as their perspectives interact and overlap with yet new implications for their relationship revealed in an unexpected coda. So the reason I picked this was frankly, because of its its popularity. Um, it is literary fiction, so it's going to sure. be kind of back into the, the deep end of the pool, if you will. Uh, get our brains working again. Yeah, and, and I'm always curious when books like this, you know, get really popular, um, whether or not they're actually any good. So what good is a book podcast if you don't test that theory out? But I've seen this book fucking everywhere, man. I bought my copy when we were in Portland at Powell's Books, uh, every bookstore that I've been to in Dallas, I've seen it somewhere. Uh, I saw it when we were overseas. Like it is, it is all over the place. So you're saying I'm gonna have to pick up the audiobook version of it? Got it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's gonna be rough. Uh, yeah, I think it's like seven fifty on on Amazon. Uh, so you should be able to afford it. It'll be okay. I believe it. I'm, I'm here's the here's the deal. I'm a half price books first guy. I I'm I am it out hundred percent with you. I go look for used books first. If I can't find it, then I'll get it new. Yeah, when we uh, when we move downtown hopefully uh next month there's gonna be half price books like right up the street it's gonna be a big old one so nice i'm excited about that so all right so next episode is gonna be asymmetry by lisa halliday then we'll get our improbability drive uh in motion whenever we get our uh our october episode uh out there and uh yeah we'll see we'll see what comes after this we'll see what goes there all right well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you did, we have plenty of episodes uh, elsewhere. Wherever you get your podcasts, uh, go to betterthebookshelf.com. Hit us up on Twitter at betterbookshelf. And until next time.